The scripture for today is the 20th chapter of Luke, verses 27 to 38. In historical context, this is just a few days before Jesus is falsely charged. He's secretly arrested at night. He's tortured and then brutally executed. This is just a few days before. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her, and in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Reading this text. I have to admit, reminded me of when I was a teenager and when my Lutheran buddy, Kurt Johnson, and I would bait some of our friends into a Bible bash. (laughs) Growing up here in Utah and in Clearfield, I had the occasion for this a lot. Uh, and after being, after finally deciding I was going to be Baptist and being baptized, I wielded this Bible like a sword and dared anybody to get into a conversation about religion with me. And this was one of my go-to texts to uh, have it out with some of my Mormon brothers and sisters at Clearfield High School. And I developed quite a reputation as being hostile to the church, the church being the Mormon church, (laughs) if I may be blunt about it. And, you know, I got to say, I'm filled with regret about those times. Uh, To be quite honest, uh, sometimes I'd win the argument, sometimes I'd lose the argument, but I can guarantee you that the gospel of Christ was never shared in those conversations. I can guarantee you that the Holy Spirit was never honored in those debates. 
And my regret is that I didn't just share Christ and love and appreciate another person's you know, faith as well. Because no one likes to be told they're wrong and everything they think, everything they believe is wrong. And so I regret those times, but I can't help, I just wanted to acknowledge this is one of those texts, this is one of those go-to texts that uh, if you're, if you got your sword out, <laughs> this is where I would go. But I never want anyone to Christ with that attitude. And so I'm looking at this today, uh, thinking about this text in a different way. Uh, and what is really going on in this text is not a debate about marriage so much as it is a discussion about resurrection. Jesus here is confronted by the Sadducees who bring up this issue not to really have an open, honest conversation. They were doing their own Bible bashing uh, in this day with Jesus. And the Sadducees wanted to demonstrate how ridiculous the notion of a resurrection is by pointing to this this uh, idea that comes to us from Moses that if, if because so important was the carrying on of the family name that if a brother dies and leaves a widow without children that the younger brother or another brother should marry that woman in, and have children in his brother's name to carry on that thing and the question that comes from the Sadducees is after marrying all after all these brothers died and have married the same woman who's going to be their wife whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection and the Sadducees were trying to show how ridiculous this was the Sadducees they're kind of this minority sect of of the Jewish religion who rejected everything but the laws of Moses. They rejected all of the Midrash books. They rejected the Talmud and the Mishnah and all of the rabbinic traditions and the rabbinic commentaries on the Torah. For the Sadducees, the only scripture they needed was the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And they didn't want anything else to go with it. And so this is where they're pulling their authority from. And additionally, they did not believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They thought the soul died along with the body. Thus the saying, they did not believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. These are the, these are the jokes, people. <laughs> I'm obligated to say that joke whenever I bring up the Sadducees. It's something we learn in seminary. <laughs> so Jesus dispatches this issue with his usual poise and grace, demonstrating that when Moses saw the burning bush, God introduced himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. His point being that God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And most importantly, Jesus here offers us a glimpse of the resurrection, saying that we are like angels, the children of God, the children of the resurrection, and they are all alive to God. Amen. I have to say that, actually, I find this story a bit odd in the midst of Luke most of Jesus' confrontations 
don't go this way. Jesus is never this straightforward in his Bible bashing. (laughs) We usually are left with a challenge that puts the question back on the one asking the questions. Like, for, for example, the question about paying taxes. Jesus turns it around to the Pharisees by asking a question, well, whose face is on the coin? Thus forcing the Pharisees to answer the question in the way Jesus wants them to. Well, Caesar's on the coin. Well, then render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Jesus didn't really answer their question. He made the Pharisees answer the question. And there was no such counter here. Jesus simply answers the question. No one will be his wife, her wife, husband, whatever. Backing up his reasoning with scripture. But quite frankly, I, the proof of the resurrection in, this, in the story he tells is a little uncompelling. I mean, I can come up with a lot of reasons why God would be the God of Isaac, Ab- Abraham, and, and Jacob without insisting that they're alive somewhere. So it seems to me that this text is really about something beyond proving that resurrection is real. Although one of the things I could infer from this is that the early Christian community is facing confrontations by the Sadducees on this very issue. In fact, we very rarely hear about the Sadducees in the Gospels, but when we get into Acts, when everyone is talking about the resurrection, all of a sudden the Sadducees start confronting the Christians with objections. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke bring in this story in order to perhaps give their communities some ammunition when faced with uh, confrontations from the Sadducees. But outside of the context of the first century Christian community, this text makes me ask, well, what's the significance of the resurrection of the dead? And you may well say, Pastor Curtis, that's kind of a dumb question. I mean, the significance of the resurrection is something we as Christians just take for granted. It's eternal life, right? But let me start by saying that I know a great many followers of Jesus Christ who find no need for a literal resurrection of Christ. Now let me say, this isn't I'm not representing myself. (laughs) But there are Christians who do not believe in the resurrection as it has been given to us. That is, that Jesus' body was resuscitated and ascended into heaven, etc., etc., and all those traditions. And I dare say that there are probably some who feel that way sitting in our congregation today. And what I have to say, what I find fascinating about all of that is that here are Christians who still find Jesus so compelling that they choose to follow him and his teachings even without a resurrection. How powerful, how incredible, how relevant is Jesus. Amen? The dynamic word of God coming to people who seek. And I bring all this up Not to challenge the idea of resurrection, but to say we can easily look at it and say, well, you know, the resurrection means eternal life for those who believe. And leave it at that. There it is. What more do you need? However, I think Jesus is saying so much more than just that. 
Whether you believe in a literal resurrection of Christ or whether you merely think that it's a spiritual thing or even if you think that this is all just an allegory, the heart of its significance is the same. What is really important about resurrection remains the same. But what is at the heart of this concept of the resurrection that Jesus defends in our scripture today? Well, the first thing that I want to say is what we sung today. Jesus is alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Amen? The resurrection says that Jesus lives on. All that Jesus did, said, and was did not die on the cross, but lives on. And this is true whether you think the resurrection is literal, spiritual, or allegorical. The essence of who Jesus is lives on. And furthermore, our relationship with Christ continues and even new relationships begin. Every time someone comes forward and says, I choose today to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Every time someone says, Jesus, show me how to live. Every time someone goes to their knees in prayers and says, Jesus, I want to talk to you. Jesus is alive and well. Amen. And so the concept of resurrection offers us this connection to the living Christ. A thing we feel, a thing we know intuitively, that thing we hope for, even, in our faith. The other significance is that resurrection says to us that we live and that people we love live on. Indeed, all that we are, all that we do and said does not die but lives on because we are beloved children of God, because we are the children of the resurrection. I often point out at funerals that we need not wait until our death to see the deceased who we honor. We see them in those they touched and in whose lives they affected. We see them in their offspring and their family. And while this is not resurrection, the concept of resurrection encapsulates the reality of this for us. That we live on here and with God. Here again, the relationship continues as well. A relationship based on the idea that somewhere they live on. This is what Jesus is saying about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As if when Moses confronted that burning bush and he asked, well, who who are you, who are you, Lord? God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're right here if you want to talk to them. <laughs> uh, this notion that they are with God today and alive. And that continues in our minds as we think about the resurrection and those we love. The other thing that a resurrection offers us is to say that there is something more. I got to say, as much as I love 
the Bible and the language and the imagery that comes from it. If you hope to look through the Bible and, and then kind of do a, make a model of what heaven looks like, the descriptions in there uh, really are not accurate. I mean, I, <laughs> they're not literal. And words escape. Words fail. Words don't adequately describe what living on eternally with God must be like. They attempt to. They attempt to. But I don't think they really quite get it. All the pictures of heaven we have are merely attempts at describing something indescribable. I believe. The other, the other thing I want to say is that I must admit that most of the time, and this is revelation included, most of the time what's being talked about is not describing heaven, but describing the world we live in today and our own reality. For example, look at the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, if you don't know the story, Lazarus is poor and distraughten. Uh, the rich man is rich and ignores Lazarus throughout his life. They both die. Lazarus goes to heaven and is standing next to Abraham. The, uh, the rich man goes to Hades. And there is a large chasm between the two that cannot be crossed. But they stand and talk to each other. Now, if I were to use this scripture to describe what heaven... The, the point of this scripture has nothing whatsoever to do with heaven or hell because if it did i can tell you the qualifications for going to heaven and hell are pretty uh, disturbing to our lifestyle so uh, you better hope he's not talking about heaven and hell <laughs> what is really being talked about is how we behave toward the poor period jesus's agenda is not to describe to you what heaven or hell is like jesus's agenda is to get us to the rich to take care of or at least acknowledge the poor and the reality of poverty. So, uh, and, the, and this is most of the time when heaven is being talked about, what is being talked about is something completely different. But what we are giving, given here is that there is something more than just this life. That there is something that goes on. There is something bigger than you and me and the sum of our parts. There is more. We are given this hope that there is something out there after this life. We call it heaven. We call it the reward. We call it the coming kingdom of God. We call it the great beyond. We call it nirvana. Going up to the spirit in the sky. That's where I'm going to go when I die. Wah, 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 wah. That, we call it all kinds of things, right? But what we're talking about is there is something more out there. Thank God. Amen? And this is what the Sadducees were rejecting. They thought that this life was all you got. So you better make it count. And there, I can see some wisdom in that. But what Jesus says is, no, this isn't it. There is more. There is more in the afterlife. And quite frankly, there's more in the life we live today because of that. 
The other, finally, the other thing that resurrection offers us, it says that good conquers bad. That love wins out over evil. That life triumphs over death. Jesus on the cross represents the world's best efforts to stop the power of God's message of love to the world in desperate need for it. The resurrection represents God's triumph over that best effort. Amen? Marcus Borg says, The cross was the domination system saying no, and the resurrection was God's yes. Amen. What the resurrection conveys to you and to me, the concept of resurrection conveys to you and to me, is that in the end, God wins. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so I offer, I offer this as a beginning of a, of a conversation. What I hope we walk away with today is something that says, you know, I need to really think about this resurrection thing. And what does it really mean in the world I live in? What does it mean for my faith? What is its place in my faith? And how important is it? And what are the, the meanings of the resurrection that mean the most to me? Is it the fact that there is eternal life? Is it the, the idea that there is that people continue on? Is it the idea that Jesus is alive? Which, you know, what of all that is most important to me and affects my faith most importantly? But whatever your feelings about the resurrection, for Jesus what it means is that God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. For to God, they are all alive. It is about the hope that we live in. The hope not just that we go to heaven if we believe, but that God is at work today through the living Christ who empowers you and me. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, the God of the resurrection, we, the children of the resurrection, come to you and we acknowledge how wonderful the message that comes to us is that you are there, you are alive, that there is something more, that we are alive, and that good wins over bad. May these words of hope resonate with us, grow in our hearts, and motivate us to good works. We ask all of this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.